Welcome to Desert City Church's podcast. Thanks for listening in. What you are about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We are a new church serving neighborhoods on the edge of North Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona. Our sermons are ongoing conversations around a sacred text or scripture in which we find the story of Jesus. We hope they inspire you to love God and others more. If we can serve you in any way or answer any questions about our community, please don't hesitate to ask. You can find out more information at DesertCityChurch.com. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Um, hey, before we get started, I kind of want to um, do a little experiment. I need everyone to help me with a little illustration. Um, so real quick, if everyone could just stand up. Buy a seat, stand up, okay? Um, And now, if you could sit down. All right. You just did something. You might, you, you probably, none of you even thought of it. But all of you did something right there. You trusted that when you sat down, the bench was going to hold you. You don't even think about it, of course, because you've sat on these benches before, maybe, or you've sat on chairs and... 99 times out of 100, a chair's going to hold you. Um, and, and so you get to the point where you don't even think about, man, I, is this chair going to hold me now? I, I, should I sit on it? But unknowingly, we, we trust things every day. We trust people every day. Um, and so we've been in this, uh, in this series called um, Words to Live By. And so what we've been looking at is different verses of Scripture that are pretty popular and we're really diving in and seeing what they really say. Um, it's scripture that usually we've heard before or scripture that maybe we have memorized, but kind of taking a deeper dive into what does it actually mean? What, what, more than just what's on the surface, what does this scripture actually mean? And today we're looking at Proverbs 3.5. It's super um, popular scripture, and it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. The, two weeks ago, I was up here, and I stepped somewhere on this stage, and it cracked under my weight. Right? And two weeks ago, I really trusted this stage. Now I'm, I'm starting to trust the stage a little less. Because of my experiences, I'm, I'm beginning to trust this a little less than I did two weeks ago. Um, we, we trust in different ways. But I don't think there's any better picture of trust than in this movie, in this scene we're about to watch. And you must hurry. Come quickly. It's a leap of faith. Lord, you must believe, boy. You must.
great movie. If you haven't seen it, you need to see it. But here you have a young Harrison Ford. He's standing on the edge of this cliff, and, and it looks like there's nothing there. And, and you know, you hear him, you must believe, boy, in the background. And he takes this leap of faith. He's got this trust in something that he can't see. Um, and, that's, and that's what we're talking about today is trust in the Lord. Trust in something that maybe is not visible to our eyes, um, but we still can trust in it. There's different levels of trust in our lives. We trust things in different ways. You trust the bench in a way different way than you trust a spouse. You trust a stranger in a different way than you trust a, a good friend. We, we trust things in different levels. And what the Bible says is that we ought to trust the Lord with all our heart. There's a story of a man who, uh, it's in, he's in wintertime. He's up north somewhere. I don't know where he is. But he's crossing a river, and the river is frozen over completely, and he begins walking across the river. And as he walks across the river, he begins to think, this is probably kind of dangerous. Like, at any point, I could fall through the river and be taken by the current and just be dead. And so what he decides to do is, I, I think I should get down on all fours and start crawling, because if I spread my weight out a little more on this river, then I'm not going to fall in. So he gets down on all fours, and he starts crawling, and he's... Crawling, he gets about halfway across, and, he, and he's thinking, now this, if, if I was going to fall in, this was going to be the place, the middle of the river. And so at the middle of the river, he thinks, man, I need to spread my weight out even more. So he's laying on his stomach, and he's kind of just scooting, scooting slowly. And as he's scooting across the river, he hears something behind him. At first, he thinks, like, oh, no, is the ice breaking? Is this it for me? And as he looks over his shoulder, he sees a man in a buggy, drawn by two horses, trotting across the river. You see, the man in the buggy, he was, he was a local. He knew the thickness of the ice. And that's what wholehearted trust looks like. But I think so many of us trust God in a way that we're just scooting along the ice. We trust God, kind of. We trust God a little bit, but we're not the man in the buggy with that wholehearted trust. And so... What I kind of want to do today is give a couple tests, three tests, on what wholehearted trust looks like. So we've got three tests for wholehearted trust. The first one is this. Do I let the Bible overrule my thinking? That is, when I read the Bible and it contradicts the things I want to be true, do I submit to that? Or do I trust my own thinking? So if you've been around the church any time or if you've looked into the Bible at all, you know that there's things in there that are hard. And there's things in there that we read and it's a struggle to understand. And there's things in there that make us so uncomfortable. When we get to these hard verses, when we get to verses like when Jesus says, the only way to the Father is through me. What do we do with that? That, that kind of makes me feel uncomfortable. The only way to the, what about like really nice people? What if they don't know the Father? That makes me uncomfortable, right? And so what we'd like to do is kind of pretend like it doesn't exist. Pick and choose the things we want to believe and, and kind of just push the other stuff aside. But, but when it comes to God and wholehearted trust, we need to... We have two options. 
We can trust what the Bible says or we can trust what we see. You see, if we don't trust the Bible enough to let it challenge our thinking and correct our thinking, how could we ever have a real relationship with God? In any truly personal relationship, you're going to have a person who's able to contradict you. Um, has, has anyone seen the movie Stepford Wives? Came out a while ago. Um, in the movie, the Stepford Wives, the, the husbands of Stepford, Connecticut, have done something to their wives. They've turned their wives into robots who never cross the will of the husband. And in the movie, a Stepford wife was incredibly beautiful and compliant, but no one watching that movie would think, well, that marriage... That's intimate. That marriage is close. That marriage is beautiful. You see, what, what happens when we eliminate the things from the Bible that, that cause us to be uncomfortable, we eliminate the things from the Bible that offend us or cross us, what we do is we create a Stepford God. We create a God in our own image that believes only the things that I believe. When the truth is, if we read the Bible the way we ought to, I should be submitting the things I believe to what God says. Tim Keller says it like this. He's a pastor in New York. He says, only if your God can say things that outrage you and make you struggle, as in a real friendship or marriage, will you know that you have gotten a hold of a real God and not a figment of your imagination. The real, real God does not agree with everything that I think. And so... When I come across those things that disagree, I've got, to, I've got to change my thinking. See, what happens is we tend to think we know better. Like, we've been around a long time. We know better. Um, a couple weeks ago, there was a, a toddler in here. I'm not going to name any names. I don't want to embarrass him. But there was a toddler in here who had his shorts on backwards. And I, I don't even remember if it was Sarah or I, but we were standing there. And one of us told him, like, hey, you have your shorts on backwards. I don't know if you've done this to a toddler, but he looked back at us and said, no, I don't. <laughs> and I was like, well, well, actually, you do. Like, look, you've got the zipper on the back. And he looks at us and says, no, that's where the zipper's supposed to be. <laughs> and at that point, I start to get a little frustrated. Like, dude, I've been putting pants on for 26 years. <laughs> you probably just started, like, two weeks ago, didn't you? And so I started to get frustrated at this little toddler who's like, no, this is the right way to do it. But the thing is, we tend to be the toddler with our pants on backwards when it comes to God. We tend to be, to think we know better. Like, man, I've been on this planet for 30 years, and I know what's right and wrong. And God's looking at us saying, you know what, I've been around for all eternity. And I know you feel like You've got your pants on the right way, but you don't. I've been putting pants on forever. Not only that, he invented the pants that you're putting on. I, you know, this, this exact thing kind of comes up in Job. Um, Job, you know, he's going through the, the toughest things of maybe anyone in the Bible. I mean, just horrible stuff going on in his life. And he gets to this point of just desperation and exasperation and he says to God, do you know what you're doing? 
Like, honestly, what's going on here? Do you know what you're doing? And God responds to Job in a way that might seem a little harsh, but, but he says, where were you when I created the world? Where were you when I placed the stars in the sky? Where were you when I made something out of nothing? He's saying, look, I'm the one who created all of this. I know how it's supposed to work, and I know that right now you feel like you can't trust me or you feel like things are going crazy, but I've got this. And so we have two options. We can dig in. When we read scripture that bothers us, we can dig in and go find someone who's going to tell us I'm right, or we can let the Bible overrule us. And do you realize that God's commands are meant to lead us into fuller life, into fuller joy? It's, so often we think God's trying to rob from us fun. God's trying to rob from us something. He's trying to flex his omnipotent power so that, so that you know, I'm, I'm God and your people, and I, you're going to do what I say. But in, in the reality, God is trying to lead us into fuller joy and into fuller life. The Old Testament has laws on, on preparing food. There's a, there's a law in the Old Testament about not eating shellfish. And I'm sure there was a guy in the Old Testament thinking, why can't I eat shellfish? Like, I bet it tastes really good. But does anyone know what happens when you don't cook shellfish correctly? Has anyone gotten food poisoning? Raise your hand if you've had food poisoning. Was it fun to have food poisoning? No. If you get food poisoning, you feel like you're going to die. It's like the, people do die from food poisoning pretty often. And so, in, I mean, 2,000 years ago, you couldn't just go to your oven and turn it on. You couldn't just go turn the stove on and cook the shellfish. It was tough to get the shellfish cooked correctly. So God has this, this command for his people. And in the command, he's trying to protect them trying to lead them into fuller life. And so many of us, we believe that we're in this cage and that all the good and fun things are outside the cage and God is saying, stay in the cage until you die and then you can have the good and fun things. But the truth is, he's, he is trying to give us everything. And we're the ones who think we're smarter and have a better way. You know, Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, which we're talking about, is is wisdom literature. It's, it's a book that says, this is the way God has set things up. This is the way that God has ordered the universe, ordered the world. And if you live in line with the order that God has, has lined things up, generally things are going to go well. That's, that's basically the gist of Proverbs, is that if you live in line with the way God has set things up, that's wisdom. And things are generally going to go well. Not always, but generally. And so, God has designed this world to operate in a certain way. And are we going to let God and his word overrule our thinking? Or are we going to let our thinking overrule God and his word? So that's the first test of wholehearted trust in God. Do you let God overrule your thinking? Number two, do I actually lean on Christ? Proverbs, it says, do not lean on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Do you realize when you lean on something, 
you're leaning on something, you're trusting it in such a way that it makes you vulnerable. That, that this thing, if, if I'm, le- I'm dependent on it, if I'm leaning on this thing and it doesn't come through, I'm going to fall flat on my face. Leaning means you're off balance. And the thing is, we hate feeling off balance. We hate feeling like we're not in control. We'd rather just stand on our own two feet and place a hand on God's shoulder and say, hey, look, I'm leaning on you, Lord. But if you go, go away, I'm still, on my, I'm still good. The truth is that leaning is tough, that, it, that it's unnatural for us to lean on something. A good question to ask might be, when was the last time I took a risk to follow Jesus? When was the last time I made myself vulnerable? There's a psychologist that's really popular, Brene Brown. She talks a lot about vulnerability. And in her studies and her talks, she's kind of come to this conclusion that unless you're willing to be vulnerable with someone, you're not going to have a close, healthy, good relationship. Unless you're willing to to let that person into spaces where they could hurt you. Unless you're willing to share something with that person that if they respond the wrong way, it's going to hurt. Unless you're willing to be vulnerable, you can't have close relationship. That's the Christian life. It's being vulnerable to God. It's living off balance. It's being in a constant state of, of spiritual vertigo constantly leaning on God. There's a man in the Old Testament, a prophet, and his name is Elijah. And Elijah has a wild life. I mean, some of the highest highs that you could imagine and some of the lowest lows that you could ever imagine. And there's a story in 1 Kings 18 of something wild that goes on with Elijah. It's it's Elijah trusting God in a wholehearted way, leaning on God in such a way that if he doesn't come through, he's done for. In 1 Kings 18, chapter 23, it begins, um, he's, he's in Israel, and the people, have, the people of Israel have turned away from God. And they've turned towards this false god, Baal. And, and, and so many of these people are now following this false god, Baal. And now there's, there's even 450 prophets of Baal, and he's the only prophet of the true God. And so he comes to this point in his life where he kind of sets up a challenge. He wants people to come back to God. And so he sets up a challenge with the prophets of Baal. He says this in verse 23, get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood and not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. So he sets up this challenge with the prophets of Baal. He says, look, you guys set up a fire. I'll set up a fire. We'll put the meat, the, the, the bull on it. And you pray and ask God to light that fire. And I'm going to pray and ask God to light the fire. And whoever's God answers, that's the real God. So he's putting himself in a vulnerable spot here. It says this, it continues on, it says, Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response, no one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, sorry, it gets good, 
Elijah begins to taunt them. Shout louder, he says. Surely he is God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So now he's, he's putting the chips all in. He's, now he's starting to make fun of these people. He's starting to taunt them as they're praying to their false god. He continues on in verse 33. He says, and now, it's, now it's his turn. It says, he arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on my offering, on the wood. So he says, you know what? It's not enough that, I'm, that God's going to light this on fire. Why don't you douse it in water? And then he says, do it again. Get more water. Do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. Talk about leaning on God in a way that makes you vulnerable. I mean, talk about going all in. Like, if God doesn't come through, he's dead. He knows that if God does not come through for him, they will kill him. His life is over. Continues on, it says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, also licking up the water in the trench. Um, it's a theologian, A.W. Tozer. I like the way he puts it. He says, Pseudo-faith, fake faith, always arranges a way out to serve in case God fails. Real faith knows only one way and gladly allows it to be itself to be stripped of any second way or makeshift substitute. For true faith, it is either God or total collapse. And not since Adam first stood up on the earth has God failed a single man or woman who trusted him. It's this idea, I, I, I almost think of like a dinner party. And you ask someone, hey, could you bring dessert? Could you bring dessert to the party? And you don't really trust that person. So what you do is you go also make a dessert and keep it in the fridge just in case they forget to bring their dessert. You've got your backup dessert. This is like, this is what Tozer is saying here. Look, you don't make a backup dessert when it comes to God. Like, you're, you're putting your chips all in. You're going all in for God. And it, it's not like you have a backup plan. So uh, I want to be clear. I'm not saying don't plan and 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 be irresponsible, and God will miraculously make things go your way. That's not what I'm saying at all. I mean, Proverbs says later on, it says, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. So it says, look, you, you do plan. You do prepare. But what are you banking on? In the end, what, what are you really depending on? What are you really banking on in the end? That brings us to our, our third kind of test for wholehearted faith. And that is, do I continue to trust God when hard things happen? I continue to trust God when hard things happen. This is maybe a sensitive topic for a lot of people, but so often we go through valleys in our life. And in those valleys, it begins to get a little tougher to trust God. And we begin to ask questions like, why is God doing this? And, and why is this happening? Why is this horrible thing occurring? And the truth is, a lot of times we don't know the answer. I don't know the answer to why some of the bad things that happen do. But I know what the answer isn't. I know that 
when looking at the cross, the answer can't be that God doesn't love us. When looking at the cross, the answer can't be that God is indifferent or that he is detached from, from our suffering. In fact, God takes our suffering and our misery so seriously that he takes it upon himself on the cross. On the cross, we see God, Emmanuel, God with us. We see that really in our worst sufferings, we can relate to God better, better than ever because he was the one who suffered for me. So even in our deepest struggles, in our lowest valleys, in our worst days, we can continue to trust the Lord with all our heart. Because he was willing to die for us. I think what happens is it gets easier and easier to trust God the more we do it. It's almost like a snowball effect. When we first come to God, when, we, when God first draws us in and, and we come to him and, and we say, I trust you, and I want you to be Lord of my life, there's this initial trust that happens. We're placing our life, our salvation in the hands of the Lord. But then there's this process of sanctification. There's this process of learning to trust God. We say, yes, I trust you, Lord, but then, then there's steps we take to trust God. And like sitting on the bench, the more and more that you trust something, the more and more you trust it. The easier it gets to trust it because it's come through for you in the past over and over and over again. And that's why it's, I think it's so important to write down our prayers, write down the things that we're asking God for. So often, God answers our prayers and we chalk it up to coincidence. So often we pray for things and then they happen. And then we're like, well, it probably would have happened either way. But if we write down our prayers and then, then we look back and we see, wow, God answered this and God answered this and God answered this and God did these things in my life. We begin to build that trust. We begin to see, wow, he's always come through. He's always been trustworthy. See, wholehearted trust means believing God at his word every time. But the truth is, we fail. We are not Elijah calling down the fire. Jesus is. See, we trust in other things. That's what happens. We tend to put our trust in other gods. We put our trust maybe in our wealth or we put our trust in our looks, or we put our trust in our own understanding, or we put our trust in our success, whatever it may be. And, and, and those things, all of those things could be taken away tomorrow. God is the only firm foundation in which we can lean on. See, unlike Elijah, God doesn't do what Elijah does. See, Elijah, he calls down the fire, and the prophets of Baal lose the, the match, I guess, if you will. They've trusted in the wrong thing. And so what happens then is all the prophets are gathered up and killed. They're punished and killed. But unlike Elijah, Jesus doesn't do that. Unlike Elijah, Jesus trades places with us. He takes the punishment that we deserve. He takes the death that we deserve for trusting in other things upon himself. It's because we have a God who takes our place that we can fully trust him. 
It's because we have a God who is willing to lay down his life for us that we are able to trust him. It's only through the gospel that we can trust God. We can't muster it up on our own. As the band comes back up and we go into communion, this is what communion is about. When, when God took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body broken for you, what he's saying is, it should have been our body. It should have been my body broken. But Jesus says, no, you know what? I'm taking the brokenness instead. When he takes the cup and he says, this is my blood poured out for you, it should have been my blood poured out. That's what I've earned. But Jesus says, no, you know what? I'm going to take that place for you. I'm going to pour my blood out so that you can trust me. Do we trust him wholeheartedly? He's a God worthy of our wholehearted trust. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you take our place. That though we are like the prophets of Baal who trust in false gods and other things, you trade places with us and you take the death that we deserve. Lord, I pray that your grace would get a hold of us that we would put to death the things by your spirit that you don't want there. Lord, I pray that we would allow the Bible to overrule our thinking, that we would lean on you in a real way, that if, if you don't come through, we're done. Lord, and that we would trust you even in the hardest times. We thank you that you did pour out your life for us. And on the cross, you made a way for us to trust you. Lord, I just pray that you would work in this place. That you would take our lives and make them into something good and make them into something useful. Lord, and, and as we continue on in our lives, that we would learn to trust you more and more. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.